0: Lord, we pray along with Moses this morning. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. And so, Lord, we ask that your loving kindness would be on us, your favor would be on us, your beauty rest on us. We gather in your name to honor you. You are worthy to be praised. And, Lord, as we open your word and look look at what it says about your praise among the nations... Lord Jesus help us to set aside the burdens we came with. Lord help us to cast our burdens on you. Just give us the ability to focus on what your word says, work in our hearts to care about what we hear this morning. We ask this in Jesus mighty name. Amen. It's pretty safe to assume that most of us here are not against missions. We enjoyed getting to hear about Josh's trip to Taiwan. We're glad that we can partner with the Shramics in the Middle East. But we might need a reminder of why they would go and why we would care about what they're doing. Our text for today reminds us of the goal of missions and the outcome of that goal if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 66 as we continue our study of summer psalms. And let's read the first eight verses. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God who is awesome in his deeds toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There let us rejoice in him. He rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad. From those verses, we could summarize that the goal of missions is that all the peoples of the earth would worship God. Let's look at the responses the psalmist is calling for. First, shout joyfully or shout for joy. Make a joyful noise. All expressing the idea of a glad shout. And different commentators point back to 1 Samuel 10, 24. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. So, when the newly anointed king was announced, he was greeted not with indifferent silence or with mumbled cheering, but with loud shouts that expressed, We're glad you're our king. Or think of loyal fans cheering when the home team takes the field. It's a way of saying, We're glad you're our team. And so the psalmist is talking about a loud vocal expression that basically says, We're glad. You're our God. But notice who is being called to do this. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. You see it again in Psalm 96, if you want to turn over to that. Psalm 90, excuse me, 98, verse 4. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy. And sing praises, or Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. And all the earth is called to sing the glory of his name. Name is God's revealed character, it's shorthand for all that is true about God, including all his names, attributes, and titles. And so in Psalm 96, it says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. But the goal is not just to know about God's glory. Verse 3 says, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the people. So people are going to hear about it, but the goal is not just that they know about it or even agree that God is worthy of glory, but that they would actually sing of His glory, singing stirs up and expresses emotions in a way that merely spoken words cannot do. And so, one definition of missions that I've heard is this: "Bidding the nations come sing with us," which, of course, assumes we're singing the glory of His name. All the earth is also called to make His praise. Glorious. Praise is recognizing and acknowledging the worth or value of something or someone. It's an expression of admiration and calling attention to greatness. It's making much of someone. So, for example, we might see a headline that says, Governor praises rescue workers in disaster relief. It means these workers did something great and they're worthy of our admiration and recognition. We want to make much of them and call attention To them. And so the psalmist is calling on the whole earth to make God's praise glorious or give him glorious praise, not just mediocre praise, not just half hearted praise, but praise that is suitable for his glory. Charles Spurgeon said this Praise should be proportionate to its object, therefore, let it be infinite. When rendered to the Lord, we cannot praise him too much, too often, too zealously, or too joyfully. Verse 3 calls the whole earth to say to God, how awesome are your works. And verse 8 calls all peoples to bless our God. Bless means to speak well of or speak highly of with affection or joy. And the goal of this blessing of God by the peoples is that others would hear it. So if you put all that together, if you put all those responses together, joyful shouting to God, singing the glory of God's revealed character, praising God in a way that is appropriate to his beauty and excellence, saying to God, your works are awesome, and blessing God in such a way that others hear him being honored, we could say, all the earth is called to worship God. This is how John Piper says it in his book let the nations be glad missions is not the ultimate goal of the church worship is missions exists because worship doesn't worship is ultimate not mission because god is ultimate not man when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of god missions will be no more It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. If we've come to know God, we already know he is worthy to be worshipped by all the peoples of the earth. But how will that happen? And We might know if we've been reading our Bible, God's people are called to tell the world about the only true God. But will it work? And so here's a story from Tom Wells. And I've actually shared this story from the pulpit, and I've actually retracted publicly this story from this pulpit. It means well. It's intended to motivate missions. But it lands in a less than ideal place. The scene is heaven. The Lord has called his elect angels to hear the great thing he is about to do. I am sending my son, my beloved son, to the earth. The angels are silent. There, God goes on, he shall die. Why? Ventures one of the awestruck seraphim. He shall die in the place of sinners. So that all who hear this good news and trust in him shall have their sins forgiven. But how shall they hear? asks another voice. My people will go into all the world and tell them. And Archangel asks the question that's on everyone's mind What if they fail? For a moment, there is thoughtful silence. And then God says, I have no other plan. So how do you process that story? Again, it's good intentions. We want to encourage people, Okay, let's get out there. But do you see the view of God? It's portraying. Poor God. Why did he leave something this important up to human compliance? Would you entrust the eternal salvation of souls in the world on people following through, on doing everything they're supposed to do? I wouldn't do that. But in this story, God did. It's like, I'm really counting on these people. I really hope they do this. I don't have any other plan. I don't have a plan B. So help me out. And so Tom Wells writes this sentence that just changed my way of thinking about missions, along with missions exist because worship doesn't. Those two sentences just change it from the blurry sunset picture at the end of if you remember what slideshows were. Remember, some of you? <laughs> Sunset, and the the, you know, if not you who, if not now, when somebody's got to help God out here. We gotta get this job done. And this sentence helped me change that way of thinking. For God to say, I have no other plan, is for God to say, I need no other plan. Is that true? God is sovereign. God If God makes a plan, He accomplishes His plan. We've seen that over and over again in our study of the Psalms this summer. We've seen it over and over again in the book of Job. And so that brings us to the outcome of God's goal. Look again at verse 4. Did you notice this? Psalm 66, verse 4. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. So there's nothing like, I hope this works. It would be nice if all the peoples of the earth would worship God. But let's face it, there's a lot of different religions in the world. Other people sincerely believe their way is best. How's that going to happen? How's that going to be overcome? And verse 4 says, it will happen all the earth will worship God all the peoples will sing praises to God there's nothing iffy about it and as if verse 4 wasn't enough let's look at some other verses that show that this outcome is certain go to psalm 22 psalm 22 verse 27 and 28 All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's. And he rules over the nations. Or Psalm 86. We looked at this last month. Psalm 86, verse 8 through 10. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, There nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. And one more, Revelation 5, 9. Revelation 5, 9. It's a scene in heaven... Twenty-four elders are singing before the Lamb. Verse 9, they sing a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So part of the design of the cross was Jesus purchasing representatives from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And as we saw in Job 42 verse two, God can do all things, and no purpose of His, including His purpose to have worshipers gathered from all the peoples of the earth, can be thwarted or frustrated. And so turn to Revelation seven. This is how it all ends. Revelation verse 7, verse 9 and 10. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So the goal of missions is all the earth worshiping God, and the outcome of missions is that God will have worshipers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And as we close, we want to talk about Where do we fit in? What role, if any, do we have in this plan? Recognizing it will be different for all of us, and it even might change depending on our season of life. Well, first of all, it should be clear that God is not depending on us as if he needed our help. Acts 17, 24, 25, The God who made the world and all things in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So we don't need to help God out. But that doesn't mean we just sit back and relax. We don't just have... A mentality that says, well, God's going to get it done whether we do anything or not. So we'll just kind of do our own thing. God uses means to accomplish his purposes, including his purposes for missions. And so go to Romans 10. Romans chapter 10. Verse 13 makes this beautiful invitation, promise. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul asks some questions. Verse 14 How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, quotes Isaiah 52, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So that's the process God uses to accomplish his purpose of bringing worshipers to himself from all the peoples of the world. But why would we want to be involved in that process? What would motivate us to care about missions? Sometimes guilt and shame have been used to stir up concern for missions. Just yesterday, Angela and I were reminded of a story Jay Kessler told of visiting a church. And there were red handprints all along the walls of the sanctuary. And it was in order to remind you of the verse in Ezekiel about their blood will be on your hands. So there's bloody handprints. Think like kids art with handprints all over the church. Their blood is on your hands. You better get doing something. Well, that's not ideal. (laughs) It doesn't really sustain interest or concern for missions. Makes you feel guilty while you go to church and see the red handprints, and then you leave. And you don't have to think about it. A much better... Motive is genuine compassion for people in their need. And if you were in Sunday school this morning, wow, did that come through. So many needs in Jordan. So many hurting people. Just You just ache. So that's a great reason. Or, of course, there's the Great Commission go and make disciples of all the nations. So we want to be involved in obeying that. Those are both solid reasons. And in addition to those reasons, the reason we see in this psalm, in other psalms, in other texts, is a desire that other people would know and worship the only true God. If we have come to know and enjoy God, if we have experienced His grace and mercy in our lives, if we are convinced He is great and greatly to be praised, then we will want others to give Him the honor that He is due. And so there's a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's in a book about the Psalms, and it's called A Word About Praising. And the just, this paragraph says this, Just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us, as regards the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what indeed we can't help doing about everything else we value. So, do you get what he's saying? We praise our favorite musician, or our favorite sports team, or our favorite restaurant, or our favorite coffee shop, or what we are always talking about things that matter to us. And so transpose that and say, okay, God matters to us. His glory matters to us. Then out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And we'll want that to others to join in that praise of God. So we don't want to just settle for not being against missions. That's a pretty low bar. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Therefore, if we know God is worthy to be worshiped by all people, not just American Christians, but everybody, we will want to be involved in making God known to others, both locally as well as globally. We want people both near and far to know the message of God's way of salvation. We want people to know about God's complete remedy in Christ for our complete ruin in sin. And the goal of people coming to know that, the goal of the nations, the different ethnic groups of the world coming to experience salvation in Christ, is that God will be glorified. And you see that in Romans 15. If you want to turn to that, when you see the word Gentiles... In the New Testament, it's translating the word that gives us the word ethnos or ethnic groups, ethnicities, or nations. So I'll read it that way, just because it's the same word. So Paul's, of course, you've got the whole book of Romans feeding into this. And then he gets to verse 8. I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God. To confirm the promises given to the Father. So why did Jesus come? He came to complete, confirm the promises given to the Jewish people in what we call the Old Testament, that a Messiah was coming. And why else did he come? For the Gentiles, that's us, the ethnic groups that aren't Jewish, to glorify God for his mercy. The whole book of Romans has been about. We need mercy. We're all sinners. God showed mercy in Christ. He offers it in Christ. He, we've, if, if you've received this, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present yourself a holy living sacrifice. It's all about the mercy of God. Why are we doing this? Why did God show mercy? That we glorify God for his mercy as it is written Therefore, I will give praise to you among the nations. I will sing to your name. Again, rejoice, O nations, with his people. Again, praise the Lord, all you nations. Let all the peoples praise him. And Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, he who arises to rule over the nations, and in him shall the nations hope. So there's a big picture here. Yes, we want to meet physical needs like the Shramachs are doing in Jordan. And yes, we want to be obedient to the Great Commission because Jesus is worthy of our obedience. But even bigger than that is that God would be honored and praised as the merciful God that he is for sending Jesus. We were all created for the glory of God, that we would give to him the honor and praise that is due him as the great and glorious God that he is. That's what it says in Isaiah 43, 7. And we have all failed to fulfill the purpose of our existence. Romans three twenty-three says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there are infinitely serious consequences for dishonoring and disobeying God. Romans six twenty-three says, the wages of sin is death which means separation from God in this life and separation from God forever in hell in the life to come. And that bad news is true of everyone in this room and everyone in this world. It is true of all the Muslims in Jordan and the rest of the Middle East and Asia. It's true of all the Buddhists and Taoists in Taiwan it's true of all the Hindus in India it's true of nice church-going people here in America we are all rebels from birth but the good news is that God designed a plan to rescue lost people not because he owed it to us not because we deserved it in some way but simply out of his free mercy and grace And there is exactly one way to be in a right relationship with God, and that is only through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself said that. John 14, 6, I hope you have that memorized. Jesus says, I am the way. Not just one of the ways out there. I am the only way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Very exclusive. And so the question would be, how are you planning to come to God? Because when I ask various people that question, or why why would God accept you into his heaven? Often I hear answers that say, well, I did this, or I do that, with no reference to Jesus at all. No reference to Jesus' death and resurrection at all. I go to church, I'm a good person, I help people. I, I, I. Jesus is noticeably absent in the answer. And Jesus says, There's no other way but me. So there's a disconnect. Jesus died as a substitute for sinners, paying the debt we owed. God raised him from the dead on the third day to show that he had paid that debt in full and forever. And if you're not coming to God that way, you're not coming. And nobody else is either. And so, are you sure you're on the right path? This is something else Jesus says in Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So are you sure you're on the right path? And if God's showing you're, you're on the wrong path, acknowledge I have been going the wrong way. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. So turn from going away from God. It's called repentance. Turn from any attempts to gain God's acceptance by something you could do. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our righteous deeds Stuff like church attendance or church ceremonies or good deeds are as filthy rags. It's totally unacceptable to a holy God. Our only hope is to trust in Jesus Christ alone to rescue us from sin and restore us to God. This is what Acts 4.12 says, and we'll close with this. There is salvation... In no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that you made a way (laughs) through Jesus to be rescued. We couldn't rescue ourselves Religion couldn't rescue us. Nothing less than the blood and righteousness of Jesus could rescue sinners like us and bring us into a right standing with you. Lord, I pray for anyone who's listening this morning in person or online who hasn't put their trust completely in Christ, that even today they would acknowledge their sin, their helplessness, put all their hope and trust in Christ alone. And Lord, for those who do know you, Lord, we want to be part of letting others know this good news. Lord, co-workers or relatives or friends or neighbors, helping people like the Shramics and other international partners get the message out in other cultures. Lord, it's a glorious thing to be part of that. We want to be in on what you are doing in your world of gathering worshipers for yourself. And so show us what role you have for us in that. And Lord, to keep us motivated. Lord, I pray for the Shramics. Lord, let them not grow weary in well-doing. So many needs, so many people to take and help. Lord, would you encourage them that their labor is not in vain and in due season they will reap if they grow. Don't lose heart. I pray your blessing on them as they head back. Lord, thank you that they can be with us, and I pray your blessing would be on our fellowship with them later. So Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing, Jesus Shall Reign.